Well, I've enjoyed the beautiful music and, and uh, the musicians. They have just been wonderful. And your kindness, um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, you hear horror stories about churches sometimes. But for some reason, I never get invited to a bad church. And, uh, and this is a wonderful, wonderful church. And thank you for uh, making Dottie and I feel so very, very welcome. And uh, of course, the meal today with Brother and Mrs. Tangeman and then with Eric and Kula, uh, we enjoyed that a great deal and their hospitality at their, hospitality at their house. And uh, so it's just been enjoyable for us. Uh, this next Lord's Day, um, uh, I will be, and hopefully Ms. Lancaster as well, uh, but I'll be at Ocean Springs among the military bases there and uh, trying to do everything that I can to help and to encourage and to encourage churches to be just like your church, a church that's made up of a great deal of civilians, but you embrace these wonderful military people, I call them nomads, uh, that are coming through. And, and uh, I'm looking for military missionaries. Um, I'm getting conflicting uh, input but I think there are about a million and a half uh, Americans that are in uniform. And some of them are serving right now in places that are very, very dangerous. And then as you know, uh, we are living uh, in a powder keg. Uh, at any time, the wrong thing could be done and we could be at war uh, with Russia or we could be at war with China, or we could be at war with Korea. It's not, it's not just that we have got uh, cool relationships. I mean, it is a dangerous, dangerous situation that we live in today. And uh, I am concerned. Uh, I know that our men and women are going to get the very best of armaments and uh, protection and uh, everything that they need to fight a conflict if it comes to that. Uh, but I am more concerned about them getting the gospel. And uh, we must get our military the gospel. Uh, not to mention the fact that we're living in dangerous times, but you military people know all of the dangers of military life. Um, I have a lot of young people that ask me, Brother Lancaster, what do you think about me joining the military? And my answer every single time is this. If you're not walking with God, don't do it. The military will eat your lunch if you're not walking with God. If you are walking with God, and I'm talking about faithful in your Bible, faithful in prayer, uh, saying no to sin, doing everything that you can to win people to Him, in the house of God, uh, morning, noon, and every time the church doors open. 
Uh, if you're not walking with God, it is a perilous, perilous thing to join the military. But if you are uh, walking with God, it's a great opportunity to serve your nation and to serve your God and to reach your fellow comrades uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I have considered it, of course, I, I got saved uh, just a few weeks after I went on active duty and uh, uh, made up my mind that that was going to be my life. I remember that uh, gunnery sergeant up, I mean that, my preacher up at Camp Lejeune, I told you he didn't ask me to do anything. He just told me to do it. And uh, he, he told me at church uh, one Sunday, he said, I'll be by to get you tomorrow. Be ready. And uh, we're going to go make some visits. Now, Tommy, don't worry. You won't have to say anything. I just want you to go and I want you to see what's happening and, uh, and we'll go from there. I said, okay, I'll be ready. So he came by and got me, and we went to this gunnery sergeant, Marine gunnery sergeant's house, and uh, knocked the door, and his wife let us in, and there sat the gunny in a recliner, and he had a cigar in his mouth, and a beer can in his hand, and a little boy on, on his uh, uh, leg. And uh, so we had a little bit of uh, nice conversation, and then my pastor said, Gunny, uh, Tom Lancaster got saved this past week or a week or so ago, and he's going to tell you how to get saved. And, uh, and I was scared half to death. And I know that I mumbled and stammered and stuttered through it. But when we walked out of that house, and, and he didn't get saved, but I tell you something else happened. When I walked out of that house, I said, I want to win the 2nd Marine Division to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, obviously we didn't win. Dottie and I didn't win the 2nd Marine Division to Christ. But we won a lot of them. A lot of them. We brought them to the house of God. We witnessed to them. We led them to the Lord. She held Bible clubs uh, and, and had children come. Uh, our burning desire was to see our military men, women, and their families uh, come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you know, as you military people know, there are dangers. Uh, there's the, the life that you live, uh, deployments away from your families, away from your teenagers, uprooting your kids and taking them away from their friends and maybe even away from grandpa and grandma and going to another place and, and them not really being happy about it and, and those kind of dangers. And then there's the dangers of, of uh, drugs and alcoholism and, and all of the rest of it. Depression. Depression. Somebody asked me, uh, my doctor asked me regularly, I wish she'd quit doing it, and I do have a female doctor, but... Uh, uh, my doctor asked me every single time, Brother Lancaster, do you deal with depression? I said, no, I give depression. I don't have it. And, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not a depressed man, and I, I don't deal with depression myself personally. But I know a lot of military people who do and who are because of the things that they have gone through and the things that they face. We must reach them. We must reach them. Uh, will you, maybe you say, Brother Lancaster, I want to serve God, and I, I, just don't, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. 
Why don't you take the Isaiah approach? Uh, Isaiah said, Hear my Lord, send me. Send me. Uh, I was in Chicago, Illinois, uh, preaching in a meeting there, and uh, uh, I got a phone call from Jeff Alverson, and Jeff Alverson uh, said, uh, uh, Brother Lancaster, there's a church in Germany that's looking for a pastor. Will you come? Will you go? And I said, thank you. Appreciate it. God bless you. My calendar is okay. No. And I got in the car and I started driving. And uh, I was driving back to my sweetheart in St. Louis. And uh, we, were, we were getting ready to see our, uh, I was getting ready to see our grandbaby again in the not too far f- in that future. Uh, our first grandchild. And, uh, and I, I drove all night long because I wanted to be home with mama. And uh, I drove all night long. And, and, uh, but I got sick in the middle of the night. And, and oh, it was just overwhelming. And uh, I knew that I was sick because I had done something that I shouldn't have done. And uh, I, I had not. And the Lord spoke to me. Uh, as I was driving in that cold winter night to try to get home. And uh, God said to me, he didn't say it here. He said it here. He said, son, you said no, didn't you? And I said, yes, Lord. He said, you didn't even bother to ask me about it, did you? I said, no, Lord, I didn't. Please forgive me. Now, my next worry is, is that I got to get home and face my wife, who is a nester. And when she builds her nest, she doesn't want to go anywhere. She loves her nest. And she loves her grandkids. And we especially love himself, who is our first great-grandbaby. But at that time, we had one grandbaby. And I said, how am I going to tell Dottie that God spoke to me about Germany, about going to Germany? How how, how am I going to tell Dottie that? And so I got home and kissed her, and she fixed breakfast. And I said, i got something to tell you, honey. And she sat down and got ready to listen. I said, there's an opportunity for us to go to Germany and work among military people. She began crying. And these are the words that she said to me. Tommy, I've always known that we'd end up the rest of our lives working with the military. And it has been the icing on our cake. I have started churches. I have pastored churches. I have taught in Bible colleges. And all of it was great. And I personally feel that it was preparing me uh, not only for what we tried to do in Millington at Millington Naval Air Station, but also in Germany for those 20 years. The base closed and so We could have stayed with an international work, but our heart's tied to the military. That's that's not something that's just, you know, 
missionary out reporting to the church's talk. That's serious with us. We love our military. And uh, we, we are burdened for them. We, and we thank God for churches like this. I was in one last week down in Fort, uh, Fort Walton Beach. A great church just like this that loves a military and for those of you that are not military, that have been the glue that has held this church together, so military could come in and be loved and be helped, thank you, church. Thank you so very much. Um, since Dottie and I have left Germany, uh, we've been back to Germany a time or two since then. We've been gone now for 10 years. And we stayed on, I stayed on as the European coordinator for military missions with BIMI. And I, we travel all over America and when we can get uh, in some other country and get out again, uh, we go there and uh, try to help with the military people and bases and try to facilitate and fill in and and uh, see what churches need uh, missionary pastors and come back and uh, lean on you and uh, see if you'll say, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. And right now there are churches in places of the world waiting for you near a military base, waiting for you, waiting for you to go there and love them. You say, Brother Lancaster, what does it take uh, to uh, uh, be a military missionary. Well, I think you could start and quit with loving people. Uh, that'd be a good place to start. <laughs> that you just love people and you, you want your life to count and to be invested in others. And... Um, so that's what we're doing now and getting an opportunity to report back and make sure that you folks haven't started preaching out of the NIV or anything like that. And so uh, we come back to check on you and uh, come back uh, to report. But pray for us. We've got needs. Uh, both of us have got uh, physical needs. Um, I'll be 80 three at my next birthday and if anybody don't don't ask me when I'm going to retire uh, that's an irritation to me I told the last person that asked me that question I said just keep checking the obituary column and when you see my name I've retired and uh, but uh, we're going to keep going as long as we can and of course Ms. Lancaster's got some some serious issues and painful issues and I would appreciate you praying for her. And uh, then please pray that there are some countries that I need to get into. I need to go back to Germany as, as soon as it is feasible for me to go. And, and of course, I don't, don't want to go without my wife. And, and I pray that we'll be able to go to Germany soon. And pray that we'll be able to go back to Korea uh, Korea has become a spot that we love very, very much, and we've been there many, many times now and have converts there, national converts, and then, of course, 
I do go to Calvary Baptist Church in Daegu, Korea, which has two bases nearby, and we have found those bases to be very, very profitable spiritually uh, speaking. And uh, I, I, every once in a while somebody asks us, do we have any needs? Uh, yes, we, we have the needs of, of uh, health. We have got those needs. Uh, my my uh, commitment uh, upcoming is twofold. To get into as many churches like this church that is near a military base. And uh, my feeling is, and I love to fish, but you got to fish where the, where the fish are biting. And uh, my feeling is, is that a military church, uh, a church that's near a military base, whether it's home or abroad, uh, that, that's, that's good fishing ground. Now, the reason I, how many of you are or were in the United States military? Raise your hand. Are or were. Okay, good, good. Now, how many of you wives were attached to that guy, but you did not raise your hand just then? Raise your hand. Wives, God bless you, dear ladies. God bless you. How many of you, uh, just, just for my own peace of mind, how many of you are Marines? Marines? Oh, yeah, we can handle this. <laughs> oh, good, good. God bless your heart. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Uh, now, I want you to think it through. I want you to think it through. Uh, Dottie and I have a project, uh, and it is a ministry project. Uh, we don't have a church of our own, you know, to help us on these uh, projects anymore, so sometimes we've got to let uh, churches and friends know it. We have a project to go and speak in at least five military churches within a two-week period. And uh, I did it back in 2019, and it was very, very profitable, and we are getting ready to do it again. We've already got it scheduled for March. And, oh, it's going to be a great time. Anybody guess where we're going? Hawaii. Now, we're not going there to luau. Uh, we're, we're going there to preach the gospel. But we will need, uh, simply because uh, since the COVID has taken place, we do not have the work fund that we once had. Uh, we, we have an ample uh, amount of support. Uh, to uh, uh, take care of us day by day and take care of all of our needs. But special things like this, uh, we, we uh, need help. So I'm not asking you to help. I'm asking you to pray, which is help. But pray that God will provide. God's already provided for our plane tickets, and there will be some things that we need once we get there. And so uh, uh, you pray for that trip and Pray that we'll be able to hook uh, other people to serve uh, as missionaries to the United States military. There are places in the world today where we need to start churches. And uh, uh, I could name several of them for you. But uh, there's a great need, and it produces great fruit, great fruit. 
uh, uh, here's my philosophy. Now, you, you, can, you can have your own survey and prove me wrong. But if you were to line up, let's say, ten men that uh, uh, had in some time in the past been called to preach, ten men, if you were to ask each one of those ten men, where did you get saved? Or where did you get called to serve the Lord? The majority of them would be while I was in the United States military. Um, and we'll, we'll see that. Um, okay, turn if you will in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Now here I have talked my time away. And uh, I hope you're not in a hurry. I'm not saying I'm going to be long, but I'm not saying I'm going to be short. And so uh, uh, I hope it'll be helpful to you. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 7. Now, in, uh, in deference uh, and in honor of the reading of God's Word, if you can, would you stand to your feet, please? And beginning with verse 1. Now when he, that's Jesus, had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. One of our dear Lord's favorite places was Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, this officer's body servant, uh, took care of the commander who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, thank you, and you may be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you for what Dottie and I have experienced here today. Thank you for that precious young lady who was saved this morning. Thank you for the numbers of others that came and did business with you. Thank you for speaking to my heart. I thank you, dear God, for the pastor and Brother Tangeman and all of the kind folks that have uh, greeted us so, so wonderfully. I thank you, dear God, for this church. I thank you that it is a haven of rest for our, not only our civilians, but our military people. I thank you, dear God, that they are not only accepted, but they are involved and loved here. And now, Lord, uh, you know me, I'm a simple man. And Lord, you've given me in these years lessons that probably every Christian in the world has learned before I did. But Lord, this lesson has been a tremendous blessing to me. And especially since you used a military man to teach me this lesson. Help me now. And Holy Spirit, we had a great outpouring of your blessings this morning. 
But tonight is not this morning. It's another service. It's another message from God. It's another issue. It's another opportunity to take a step forward. Help us, O oh God. Help me. And I pray, O oh God, that you will save precious souls. In Jesus' name, amen. The Roman garrison at Capernaum, the officer in charge, is a centurion. There is some conjecture among uh, Bible scholars about whether the word centurion means a commander of a hundred, and of course that's what sentry means is a hundred, or whether it means multiple hundreds. In other words, it could have been, uh, say, a battalion uh, size uh, 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 outfit. It could have been larger than that. But nevertheless, this Roman military soldier was the officer in charge of the garrison at Capernaum. And notice, if you will, beginning with verse 2, and I'll just go through it, and it's going to lead me to a lesson that if you don't know it, you ought to know it. Uh, it, it, will, it will be a benchmark in your life when you learn the lesson that this military man teaches us, and uh, which we need to know. But let's look at verse 2. A certain centurion's servant, uh, a man that took care of his needs, possibly cooked for him and took care of his uniform and his armor and other things that he needed. And the Bible says he was dear unto him. The officer, this military officer, uh, loved his servant. I had the joy of having a wonderful relationship with several high-ranking uh, officers when I was in Germany. And uh, one of them in particular was a colonel, our BSB commander. And uh, we got on a first-name basis, and he called me for several things, and I did for him. And uh, not too long into our relationship, he called me one day and and he said, Brother Lancaster, he said, this job as a BSB commander, he said, uh, this is my first outing at it, and it's sort of a required situation, and, uh, and uh, I'll be here for a year, maybe two years. And uh, he was there for two years. And then he asked, he said, what recommendation do you have for me? And, and I had some insight because I had uh, been the friend of several BSB commanders. But I told him this, and I could tell any officer or any NCO or anybody that had charge over some troops, I could say this to him: Your number one responsibility is to take care of your personnel. Take care of them. Take care of their needs. And uh, so the Bible tells us here that uh, this centurion was dear unto him. There was a relationship. 
the officer loved this man. And then notice, if you will, in verse 2 again, and the certain centurion, and I do want you to notice that it's a certain centurion. I went back and tried to take a little nap this afternoon and uh, didn't, didn't do much of it. But that word certain, I couldn't get away from it. I could not get away from that word certain. Did you know something? You are not just one of a mass of billions of people. You are a certain person in the eyes of Almighty God. Uh, I see some of you wonderful, wonderful uh, older saints uh, uh, getting to be uh, uh, maybe older than me. And uh, your husband's gone. And, and maybe the kids leave, uh, live far away. I want to tell you something. You're still a, a certain woman with Almighty God. Uh, God is aware of your every need. And God's aware of what you go through. And you wives that send your husbands off to war. And sometimes you husbands that see your wives go off to war. Oh, you're not overlooked. You are a certain person in the eyes of Almighty God. A certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Ready to die. I, Of course, I've read this passage of Scripture hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and preached from it uh, numbers and numbers of times. And uh, I have tried to think of it every single way that I could. But that little phrase, ready to die. Now I think that it's clear to us what it means. But do you know that phrase standing alone could mean one of two things? Is he prepared to draw his last breath and meet God right now? Are you? Have you been born again? That's the thing that the Lord tells us had, has to take place. He didn't tell you that you had to be in a church. He didn't tell you that you had to be church member. Now, I'm not, I'm not discouraging that. Of course, the Bible says much about we ought to do that. But in order to go to heaven, you've got to do one thing. Be born again. Has that happened to you? Have you been born again? Are there evidences in your life that you have been born again? Did you and do you desire the sincere milk of the word? Anybody that claims to be a child of God and does not spend time in this blessed book, I doubt their salvation. That, uh, there's something that automatically happens. Automatically. Oh, if you'll, get, if you'll get online with us and see our Facebook, you'll see me holding Augie. His name is Augustine. But you'll see me holding Augie. And uh, we've been with him ever since he's been born. Our uh, granddaughter and her husband, what's his name, uh, live just a little ways from us. And they bring us Augie. And uh, I get to hold Augie. And I can remember those, those early days. He's eight months old now. But I can remember those old early days. He's looking for milk. 
I want to tell you something. You tell me that you're a child of God and you don't love the Word of God? Milk? I mean, I'm not fussing at you. I'm pleading with you. Go back and check out your salvation. Check it out. There are some things that happen when you get born again. When you get born again, you'll have an appetite for the Word of God. When you get born again, you will feel most comfortable, not among your cussing friends, not among, not among, among your critical friends. You'll find, you'll find yourself most comfortable among children of God that love the Lord. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you pray? Do you pray? And when you got saved, when you got saved, when you got saved, when you got born again, when you knew that something had happened to you and the weight of sin had gone and you were given uh, verses that gave you the assurance of your salvation and, uh, and you realized that you weren't going to hell but that you were going to heaven and, uh, and you... Uh, uh, you knew that. You, you said, oh, I know somebody else that needs that. My granddaddy needs it. Let me, let me go talk to granddaddy. Let, let me go talk to my, let me go talk to my mother. She needs to be saved. Oh, let, let me get my kids and let me show them how to get saved. When, when you got saved, did you have a burden to see people saved. Did you? Uh, and, and so uh, it, it could mean ready to die. Ready to meet God. Uh, or it could mean that his great concern was is that he was getting ready to draw his last breath. And I do think that that's, that's what uh, this means, that he, he was ready to die. He was right at the point of death. Look, if you will, at the third verse. And when he heard of Jesus, when, when, did, when did you first hear of Jesus in here? I'm not talking about in here. But when, when did you first hear of Jesus in here? And you knew that God was talking to you. I, I remember uh, that May, uh, May 15th evening, there was a knock at the door. Dottie had asked me to go to church with her the week before and, and at Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville. And uh, I said, yes, I'll go. I didn't want to go. But I said, yes, I'll go. And I went to church. And oh, that northern preacher, he didn't preach loud. He didn't preach long. He wasn't bombastic. But oh, Something was happening to me. And uh, he said, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. He said, anybody here need to get saved? I don't know whether anybody else raised their hand, but pew, mine shot up. And he prayed. And then he said, okay, let's stand and we're going to sing. He said, now if you raise your hand and you need to get saved, come. And let somebody show you from the Bible how you can be born again. And in spite of the fact, like you other Marines, and I'm not leaving out others, but in spite of the fact that you had learned several ways to kill people, I was a coward. 
I would not walk forward. I wouldn't do it. But thank God for a good preacher. And that good preacher came to my house and, and at about eight o'clock he knocked and I opened the door and, and you know, I, I may have had a smile on my face, but I didn't have one in my heart. And I said, come in. And he came in and he sat down and he started talking. He carried out some small talk and, and then he said, uh, let me ask you something, Tommy. And he reached for his New Testament and started to pull it out. I thought maybe it was a warrant for my arrest. That had happened before. And so he pulled out that Bible and he said, uh, Tommy, if you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? Now, normally I would have lied about that or I would have just sloughed it off in some way. But I had been arrested that night. I was arrested by the Holy Ghost of God. And uh, I said, preacher, I'd go to hell. And he said, may I show you from the Bible how you can know you're saved? And I don't know whether I said yes, uh, but thank God he didn't wait on me to say anything. He began showing me from the Word of God. Woo! How I could be saved and know it. And he began at about five minutes after eight. He didn't take long getting into it. But somewhere between 8.15 and 8.30, mm -mm, I got born again, and I'm a far ways from perfect but I'm a long ways from what I used to be. And my life has never been the same since then. You say, Brother Lancaster, I've gotten religion, but nothing dramatic has ever, ha ever happened to me. You better go back and check it out, honey. I mean, getting born again is a dramatic situation. When our five-year-old son got saved, it was dramatic to him. When our 12-year-old daughter got saved, it was dramatic to her. When my sweet bride, my wife, got saved as a teenage girl that had never done any of the things that I did, it was dramatic to her. Have you ever been born again? Do you have any evidence in your life that you are born again? You, you say, Brother Lancaster, um, uh, uh, I'm in church tonight. Did you know, I mean, people come to church for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> for, for some, uh, I, I had an old man in my church back in South Carolina, and he was just joking. I loved him. He was Daddy Zach McCoy. And uh, he would come in. I, I stood at the door greeting people as they came in. And Daddy Zach would come in, and he'd touch me on the shoulder. And after a while, I knew who it was. But he touched me on the shoulder, and he was up in his 80s, and his wife had gone on to heaven a long time before that. And he'd say, Brother Lancaster, any good-looking women here tonight? And uh, as I say, he was just joking about it. But, uh, you know, a lot of people go to church for different reasons. Going to church is not going to get the job done. Have you been born again? Kids, kids, have you been born again?
Have you? Teenagers? Have you been born again? Is there any evidence? Uh, what, what about it, sir? Have you been born again? Lady. He was ready to die, but he heard of Jesus. Now that brings me to this question. Who told him about Jesus? Now let me ask you this with love in my heart. When's the last person you stood toe-to-toe, eyeball-to-eyeball -to -eyeball with, and repressing your fear with obedience and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time somebody has heard about Jesus from your lips? Did you know that God didn't leave you here to decorate the place? He's got suns and moons and stars and galaxies and oceans and meadows and trees and valleys to decorate the place. God left you here to reach somebody for Him. That's what glorifies Him. And the more we reach, the more we are glorified. When is the last time since you have been saved that you have told somebody about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God left you here. That's God's purpose for you to reproduce, to bear fruit, to bring others to the birth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. This military officer is compassionate. He's compassionate. And I've met so many compassionate military people that I love so very much. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly. The Jews. These are the Jews this military officer had a great reputation with the Jewish people, saying that uh, he was worthy that we should do, uh, do this. He's worthy. We're, we're going to go to Jesus, and we're going to ask him to come and heal this military officer's servant. And he's worthy. He's worthy. Now, notice their, their uh, uh, thinking about it. Verse 5, he loveth our nation. Now, I'm not going to get far afield. Uh, somebody, you know, I have somebody every once in a while just tongue-in-cheek. They pretty much know how I'm going to vote. But every once in a while, somebody tongue-in-cheek will ask me, how are, you going to land, how are you going to vote, Brother Lancaster? I'm going to vote by this. I'm going to vote by that book. Therefore, I will never, no never, no never, I will never vote for a party that murders unborn babies. I won't do that. I won't do that. It's, it's ungodly. It's against Christ. It's unbiblical. You say, well, but Brother Lancaster, I'm a, I'm a member of that party. I'm sorry. I have no animosity against you. My Christian convictions and values will not permit me to vote against any system that murders babies systematically murders babies. And then also, I am pro-Israel. I'm not pro-Israel because one day I fell in love with some Jewish person. I said, oh, I'm pro-Israel because that's what the Bible tells me that I must be. I'm pro-Israel because God says that he will bless those that bless Israel and he will curse those that curse Israel. 
And so anybody that stands or any politician or any party that stands against the Jewish people, I can't vote for them. And the Bible tells us that this man loved Israel. He loved Israel. Notice, if you will, further in verse 5, he's built a synagogue. I don't know how much synagogues cost in those days, but they were probably more than you and I have in our pocket. But this guy, this military officer, built him a synagogue. The most generous segment of our society that I know of. The most generous segment of our society that I know of are military people. Now, they're not always perfect people. And there's a bad egg every once in a while. But I've dealt with a lot of them over these many years now. And military people are basically compassionate, generous people. And I'm not talking about just generous with their money. However, they are generous with that. Uh, I'm talking about they are generous with their time. Uh, they are generous with other people. It's built into them to live, to protect, and to die for somebody else. And say, so they, they'll do that with people they know. Uh, we, we hold a reunion every two years uh, for uh, anybody that wants to come and former military people. And Brother and Mrs. Hanser, they've been there and they've, I've already got their uh, money. I'm just joking about that. But I, I've already got their contract that they're coming to the next reunion in 23. And, uh, but uh, we were at one of our reunions and, you know, people, people came for, for 20 different years. And some, some of them knew each other, but they didn't know these. And, and they all got together there at our reunion. And uh, one lady, uh, we had testimony time, and one lady stood up and she said, and she had tears just flowing in her, down her eyes. Preacher, I want to thank God for this lady that I'm sitting next to. And at that time, I recalled they had both been there at the same time. And she said, I reported in. My husband immediately got deployed. I had never been in a foreign country. Uh, I, I was scared half to death. But this woman stood by me and helped me every step of the way. She was a generous woman. And, and, I, I, and, and you know, you, you do know, and you know, there's probably colonels, maybe even generals uh, here in this room tonight. But you are aware of the fact, and I know you are, this is a great church, but you're aware of the fact that when you step in that door, your rank stays out in the parking lot. And I never will forget, we had a, we were fixing up our building, building that uh, Eric, uh, <laughs> I kid him a lot about getting us into that building, but, but it, was, it was a wonderful, wonderful building that we got into, and Eric helped so much. But it needed fixing up in every way that you can think of. And uh, we were painting and doing baseboards in the auditorium one night, 
And I was back in my office for a little while and I came out and lo and behold, I saw a guy that had just gotten off the plane and somebody had invited him to come, private, private. And he came and he was on his knees painting baseboard. And down on the other end, heading his way, was a colonel painting baseboard. And um, I thought about that. Oh, you know, there is no rank in the kingdom of God. Uh, There is no no prestige uh, in, uh, in the face of others in the kingdom of God. Uh, Look, if you will, please, at verse 6. And Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion, this Roman officer, sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, and he's he's talking about an itinerant preacher who was also the Savior, and he knew that by this time. Lord, trouble not thyself, For I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. He was a humble man. A humble, commanding officer. Verse 7. Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee, but say in a word. My first duty station overseas was Iceland. I was in a guard detachment in Iceland. And I got hooked up with an independent Baptist missionary there and tried to do anything that I could as a corporal at that time in the Marine Corps. And, um, and uh, as a result of that, my commanding officer, Colonel House, he found out I was a Christian and one day he called me into his office. And he said, Lancaster, he said, I'm going to help you in every way that I can. And uh, you keep helping these men. He said, uh, they need the Lord. Oh, I, that, you know, I, I should not go into all of the story, but uh, I was eventually stationed just south of the Arctic Circle at a, at a, uh, a top secret site there. And I was on guard duty there. And uh, the colonel flew up on a helicopter for an um, inspection. And uh, he ate with us that day. He was going to fly back. He and the others that came with him, he was going to fly back that night down to uh, Reykjavik. And, uh, and uh, then he, uh, you know, we stood in formation for him, just a handful of us, maybe 25 on the post. We were guarding a top-secret sub-fueling uh, base that's no longer there now. But uh, uh, he came through and, and he stopped every once in a while and, and he said, uh, Lancaster, are things going well? I said, oh, yes, sir. I'd already started a preaching service in the slop chute. How many of you Marines know what slop chute means? You know what slop chute means? You, you must all be young Marines. Uh, <laughs> We called we call the beer joint the slop chute. And uh, we cleaned it out on Saturday night, a couple of friends and myself. And I preached there 
on Sunday morning and saw numbers of Marines saved and Navy and then saw lots of Icelandics uh, saved uh, as well. But uh, the colonel, and, and when, he, when he started towards the helicopter, he stopped and he, he pointed. And he was pointing right at me. And I broke ranks and I went out to the colonel and I stood in front of him and he said, Lancaster, he said, what you're doing, I never will forget the first time I saw him. I was passing by on the parade ground doing uh, pickup. And uh, when I bent over, I looked into the colonel's uh, office and all I could see was the top of his head. And I said, something's wrong with him. And I looked around and nobody else was doing anything. So I snuck over near his office window. And there I saw my commanding officer on his knees with a Bible open in front of him. And he was praying. i never forget uh, that day when he got into the helicopter. Uh, uh, went towards the helicopter and he stopped. And the rotors are still turning, but uh, are turning. But he pointed to me and, come here. And I broke ranks and I came to him. He said, Lancaster, keep on doing what you've been doing. And I said, yes, sir. I will, sir. Thank you, sir. And he said, Lancaster, these men need what you're trying to give them. Keep it up. And I promised him, I said, sir, I said, I'll never quit doing it. I won't quit. He got in the helicopter and about... Oh, 45 minutes later, maybe less than that, we got word. The base is shut down. Shut down. Everybody go to your quarters. And they were coming by confiscating cameras, my camera and others. And the colonel's helicopter had gone down and all of them had been killed. And uh, later on that night, I was contacted from down south, and they said, Lancaster, we're sending a truck to come get you. All of the helicopters are grounded. We're sending a truck to come get you. And so I didn't know what was going on. But oh, it was. They came and got me, and then we drove for several hours over those rocky roads from Hualafur to Reykjavik. And, uh, when I got there, the duty officer, he said, uh, the XO, XO wants to see you. And so it was late at night, 10 or 11 o'clock. And I went and knocked on the hatch, as a Marine does. And on the inside, I heard, come. And I opened the door and I walked in. And that major threw his arms around me. I was a corporal. He threw his arms around me and he said, Lancaster, what are we going to do without the old man? And I said, we're going to trust in the same God that he trusted in. And he said, Lancaster, his body has got to be delivered to his family. And all of us believe that you're the man that should do it. And the next day I got aboard that, I think it was a C-130. Me, and the coffin and the crew 
and flew back to Delaware and, uh, and gave the body of my colonel uh, to his family. Notice, if you will, please, the humility of this man again. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come to thee, but say in a word, say in a word. <laughs> You're not going to make it without this. You're not going to make it. No, sir. You need it. I'm not talking about pressing ro roses in it. I'm not talking about leaving it on your coffee table until the next time you go to church. I'm talking about as the Bereans daily in the Word. Hey, Marine, are you daily in the Word? Hey, soldier, are you daily in the Word? Hey, sailor, are you daily in the Word? What about it, airman? Are you daily in the Word? What about it, coast guard? Or what about it, housewife? Are you daily in the Word? How about it, kid, teenager? I'm serious, teenager. Are you daily in the Word? You're not going to make it. Apart. When you say, what do you mean by you're not going to make it? You're going to have misery, sorrow, broken marriages, children going astray, all of that. And what you need is to be in the Word of God. Are you in the Word all right, that was my introduction. Now let me give you the lesson and we'll go home. I hope we'll have some other things happen before we go, go home. But um, look, if you will, please, at uh, verse 8. And he says, I am a man under authority. I've got authority. Some of you have got authority. Some of you have got authority in your workplace. You've got authority in your business. You've got authority in your community. Some of you have got authority in your place in the military. Did you know there is the possibility that you could go through Paris Island as a Marine or San Diego as a Marine in boot training. And you could come out of boot training as an E-nothing. You wouldn't be a mover and a shaker. You would have no influence. Everybody has authority over you. <laughs> if they come and wear a uniform, snap too. They've got authority over you. That's the way you came out of boot camp. But did you know it has happened in our country that people have gone through boot training and come out as an E-nothing and ended up as a general? I was in Bitburg, Germany, and I led 
a captain to the Lord. He's now a four-star general and a great, great Christian right here at the Pentagon. But there is the possibility that people get saved, but they never acquire any authority. I want authority. Now, I know you, you're mine, you've got wicked minds, and you're saying that's just like a Marine. He likes to boss people around and all of that. No, that's not what I want authority for. Alice Thomas had authority. I won Alice Thomas to the Lord, oh, 40 years ago. She was a teacher in a Christian school. Wonderful husband and two children. Both of those children are now married and got their own children and they're all serving the Lord. But Alice was an unassuming person and if she ever came into the crowd, the only thing that you might see her and might strike you is that she had raven black hair with a gray streak right down the middle. And it just stood out so much. But uh, she was a very humble person. But when I buried her, oh, how I saw what her influence had been and how she had had an impact on others. Now here's what this soldier, this centurion, teaches us. He said, I'm a man under authority. In spite of the fact that I'm a centurion, commander, I've got people over me, all the way up to Caesar. But I've got people over me. And I have authority. I say to one, go and he goeth, and to another, come and he cometh, and to one, do this and he doeth it. He had authority because he had stayed under authority. That's the way the military works. Do your job. Keep orders. I remember uh, when, and, and don't get mad at me. I'm a Marine, and I, I just can't keep my mouth shut, you know, about certain things. And just take it with a grain of salt, and, you know, don't throw stuff at me. But uh, I got out as a, as a Sergeant E-5, which in my estimation is equivalent to an Air Force Major. But I was, thank you, thank you, I'm thinking you didn't throw anything at me. But I was, um, I was uh, uh, a private. But all I ever wanted to do, I wanted to be a Marine. That's all I ever wanted to do. I used to see the, the um, um, recruiting posters at the post office. And this was back, of course, I... I am an old codger, uh, but I, I see those recruiting posters. Uh, Join the Navy and see the world. And I said, I'd like to see the world, but you'll never get one of those goofy-looking hats on me. And, uh, 
and and then uh, and then uh, you know it wasn't the Air Force in those days; it was the Army Air Force, and then the Marine Corps. And I said, "That's it. I gotta have that Marine uniform. I gotta have it." Didn't have enough sense that I could go to the Army Navy store and buy one, and uh, all I wanted one for was to look good and get girls. And uh, but but I joined up, you know, and and I joined the Marine Corps, and um, uh, I, I, I and one day they came out into the uh, equipment yard at Courthouse Bay and uh, said, Lancaster. Uh, the lieutenant wants to see you. And I went in and banged on his door, you know, come. And I walked in and he said, uh, at ease, Lancaster. I said, thank you, sir. And I just kept on standing at attention because I was too scared to stand at ease. And, and he said, got something for you on my desk here. And he pulled that out and there was a stripe attached to it and another, and another, and another. And when I got ready to get out, the commanding officer called me and he said, Lancaster, I've got staff sergeant for you. All you got to do is sign the line and you got it right now. And I said, sir, I, I'm humbled by it, but I know that God's got something else for me. And my commanding officer has told me then I need to get out of the Marine Corps and I have got something else uh, to do. Listen to me. Listen to me. If a military person stays under authority and they will do their job, if they stay under, they'll get over. They'll get over. They'll get over. Now, you know what the Lord did? The Lord turned this guy around and he told the Jews, he said, I haven't found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And he taught the lesson. If you and I as Christians will stay under the authority that God gives us, God will give us more authority. I want more authority. I want more authority to help other people. And so if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to stay under authority. This is my guidebook right here. A little fella came out today and stood at the table for a minute. He may be here tonight. I don't know. But he pointed, I, I don't have a Marine Corps um, manual. I have an Army manual, and it's on the table back there, and I'm proud to have it there. And he said, what's that? And I said, that's, that's an Army manual. It, it tells the Army folks what they're to do when they serve. And this is our manual right here. One of the reasons that we ought to read it and to study it is to see how we can fulfill more orders. How, whoa, looky here. Here's something that God tells me to do. Hallelujah. 
God's telling me to do this. And you know what happens when we do it? He promotes us. And we have an opportunity to help more people. And more people. And more people. That was Alice Thomas. Oh, how she helped people. If you and I get under authority, he'll give us authority. And we'll be able to have an impact on people. An impact on people. Are you under the authority of this book? Is there anything in this book that you've been arguing with God or disobeying God about? Do you forgive people? Is there anybody's name that just sort of makes you hot behind the collar? Do you forgive people? Your orders say that you're supposed to forgive people. Um, uh, do you pray without ceasing? Are you in a constant mo uh, mode of prayer with God? Do you study? I'm not talking about just reading. God have pity on the person that builds their faith off of a, a, a scripture or two of the daily bread. Now that's good. That's wonderful for backslidden Christians. But for a real Christian, you ought to get a pencil and paper out and sit in a good chair and get real comfortable so you can study the Word of God. Do you study God's Word? When you and I have a, a holy respect for this book and stay under its authority, God will raise us up and give us more authority. And we'll be able to help people. Are you under the authority of your pastor? Are you? According to the Bible, he is God's given authority to you in this church community, this congregation. He's God's authority to you. Are you under the authority of your pastor? What about, let me ask you this. Are you under the authority of your husband, lady? Are you? Do you obey him? Do you treat him as Sarah treated Abraham as Lord? Do you respect him? Do you respect your husband? Hey, <laughs> husbands, are you under the authority of your wife? See, the Bible says that we are to submit ourselves to each other. I've been married to the same beautiful lady for 57 years. And in 57 years, I've never told her to do one thing. Never. And I'm praying that I will go out the rest of our time never having to tell, Dottie, you're going to do this. I'm not going to do that. We're going to pray. We're going to talk about it. We're going to work it out. Uh, and she's going to submit to me and I'm going to submit to her. But we are not going to boss one another around. Are you under the authority of your wife? Are you under the authority of your daddy and mama? Are you? Are you? Are you under the authority of God? Do you know something? One of the first steps in authority is getting saved. You say, I ought to get saved because of mama. I ought to get saved because of my granddaddy, my grandma. No, you ought to get saved because of Jesus. You ought to get born again. That's the, that is the first step. But if we'll stay under authority, he will give us authority. And then we will be able.
to have an impact on the lives of others. Would you permit me just to be personal for just a moment? And I'll, I promise you I'll quit. I don't ever want to quit. I hate the word. Hate it. We ought to take it out of our dictionary. Quit. Yeah. But born on a cotton farm in Arkansas, mother that became an alcoholic, a dad that was a drunkard, split up and went their ways. My mother became a terrible alcoholic. Married again. I caught him one night when my mother was in the hospital with traction. I was staying with another family, but I I had to go home to get something, school books or something. And I walked in, and there I found my stepfather in bed with another woman. And eventually, that family broke up. My mother took up with a gangster. A, a gangster. Gangster. Hoodlum gangster. I, uh, I hated him. And I was old enough at that time to do something about it. I beat him senseless. Were it not for the intervention of my cousin, I would have killed him. I had a gun cocked and put right at his head. I beat him so much one time I heard him scream for help. I fired shots into his house. I set his house on fire. You say, Lancaster, did you get in trouble? Yeah, I did. I got in trouble. But I hate him. One day I met a sweet, beautiful girl, and I said, I didn't say it this timidly, but I said, wow. And I set myself to catch her. And she fell in love with me. And she shouldn't have because I was unsaved, but she fell in love with me, and I understand that. (laughs) And um, I took her to Tony's Pizza Parlor. And, um, and I put 25 cents in the jute box and I put in an old love song by Brenda Lee. And I reached, you say, Brother Lancaster, uh, you, you shouldn't talk about those old secular songs in a message. Well, I've learned this. You can't get romantic with Amazing Grace. <laughs> and so... I, uh, I reached my hand up underneath the table and I said, will you marry me? And she married me. And just a few weeks later, this guy who had been a drunk, in jail, never graduated from high school, had to go back and get my GED. I've preached all over the world and seen people saved all over the world. I, the, a girl from our church back in Germany was here this morning from Grace Baptist Church here in town. And she said, oh, Miss Lancaster, I love you. Oh, Brother Lancaster, I love you. Where in this world did I get any kind of authority 
It certainly wasn't on my brilliance or my ability. But if you and I will stay under authority, he'll give us authority. And we can be a help to others with that authority. Thank you, and let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, will you please help us? Thank you for the patience of these dear people. Thank you that they have kindly listened to a long-winded preacher. Bless us now. I pray that you will commission your blessed Holy Spirit to speak to us. Help us, O God. Save precious souls. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, in a minute I'm going to ask our pianist to begin playing Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. How many of you in this room, you say, Brother Lancaster, there are some areas in my life where I'm not under authority. There are some things in the Bible that I know, but I'm not doing them. There are some things that my preacher stands for, and it's right, and he's preached from it and shown us the Scripture, but I'm not doing it. A preacher, I, 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 I've constantly got a rebellious attitude toward my husband, toward my wife. Preacher, I don't mind my daddy and mama like I should. I don't honor them like I should. I'm not under authority. I don't want my life to be in the trash heaps. I want my life to count. Preacher, I've got some authority issues that I need to take care of. How many like that? Would you slip up your hand if that's it? Preacher, I've got some authority issues that I need to take care of. I see several people across this room. Will you just get up right now and head to the altar? Just get up and head this way. Come on right now. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Preacher, I've got some authority issues. Come on, young lady. Come on, will you? Others? Others? God bless you. God bless you. Dear lady that raised your hand, please come. This decision tonight could be that it will save some element of your family. Come on right now. Any others? Preacher, I need to come. I need to come. In just a moment, I'm going to ask our pianist to begin to play. I'm going to ask you to stay here and pray for just a few minutes and then I'm going to pray with you, and, and at that time you can leave and go back to your, your seat. Let's stand to our feet, please. And you come. Come if you need to. All right. Thank you.